Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Hello, I'm Jonathan Bowman-Perks and welcome to my favourite time of the week. I'm very fortunate I have Fiona Lambert with me, who we worked together six years ago. And we're going to be talking about inspiring leadership tips and techniques as part of the Inspiring Leadership series. So Fiona, tell us a bit about the role you're doing now and all the different roles you've done. Just a little, you know, a little minute. Much, okay, much so um, I've, I've wanted to be in fashion from age 11. I was very lucky to start my career um, right in the very early days of Next and, um, and then started... Uh, Georgia Astor, with the founder of Georgia Astor. Um, and then I'm very lucky now to have my dream job, actually. So um, I'm getting the opportunity to start a brand of my own from scratch. Wow. Uh, it's backed by the family that own River Island. Um, but I've been, you know, I've got the great opportunity as managing director of Harpen um, to have recruited a team, designed a brand, designed the whole um, concept behind it and uh, for a gap in the market. And we launched three months ago. So it's a, it's a baby. Well, uh, it's my new baby. Yeah. And you, you're a true entrepreneur. And, and, and we were talking uh, earlier when we had a chat beforehand about who inspired you, who you found as inspiring leadership. I think you mentioned your parents. Do you want to say a bit about why? Yeah. So um, they definitely have clearly shaped me. So uh, they're both very hardworking, very humble. They got married and had no money. And both of them uh, couldn't afford to go to university. So... Uh, they subsequently worked and learnt um, and did further education. So they're always wanting to better themselves. Mm. So uh, that constant learning, I think, is uh, something I've always wanted to do myself as well and had the hunger for that. Um, And I think very much as a child, um, they didn't sort of wrap me in cotton wool or anything. I think if I was faced with any decisions, they would talk me through the options, the possible outcomes of the decisions, but then allow me to make the decision myself. And I think that certainly um, gave me that empowerment. And I always try to use that because I think the opportunity to have a go, make a mistake and feel like you're being supported if you make the mistake, but as long as you learn from it and grow from it, um, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a great thing to do. So I think, um, certainly, you know, them bringing me up, it wasn't a sort of tell and do management style. And certainly I don't do a tell and do management style. I want people to feel empowered, um, and have the opportunity that to have a go. If it goes well, it's brilliant. If it's a mistake, just learn from it. Brilliant. We'll, we'll talk about that later. And and you also mentioned someone else who was inspiring to you. Do you want to talk about them? Yes. Yeah, so as I mentioned, I started my career at Next in the very early days of Next. And the uh, gentleman who founded it was a guy called George Davis. And he founded uh, Next. He founded George Astor and he founded Peruna M&S. So, you know, an incredibly inspiring entrepreneurial um, person to work with. And I was very lucky when uh, he left Next and started Georgia Astor, he asked me to go and join him. Um, and I laugh now, actually, because I say he phoned me up and said, would you like to come and start a team with me to start this new brand? I can't tell you who it's for. I can't tell you what it's about. Um, 
but it's an amazing opportunity, you know, to start a new brand from scratch. And I thought, well, this is the guy that started next. How many opportunities as a, as a yeah. young woman am I going to get a chance to do that? So, um, what sort of age were you then? I was 26. So that wow. was, that was the start of Georgia wow. Asta, which was, you know, it was the first supermarket clothing brand. Yeah. Um, and you know, he, he has been, um, you know, incredible in finding gaps in the market. And as I said, he, he, I learned from him very much about, um, I keep, I, I keep saying actually, um, a lot of businesses focus on, focus on the margin and yeah. the accounts, which is great, has to be done, but you don't sell margin. You sell great product that's focused on the customer. And that's what he taught me. He, yeah. you know, if you're absolutely focused on the customer, um, give them the very best deal that you can give them. They know that and they recognise that. And, yeah. and aside from that, he he had such a vision and you know real charisma actually, um, and a can-do attitude that it swept everybody along. And he could talk to anybody about it and inspire them, whether it was somebody on the shop floor or a manufacturer or one of his team. Um, and so actually, everybody you know believed in that vision and would follow him yeah. because he was so clear about it. Great. And, and then the other thing was. Great, great people um, make mistakes as well. And, and, you know, you've made your own mistakes over the years. But what have you learned from when things haven't worked out or making mistakes or being indecisive? What, what's, what's your tip you'd share with others from your own experience? Uh, well, it's, it's an interesting career being in fashion because it's um, not very predictable. It's not, you know, it's not a mathematical equation. So I've had my career where I've had to um, make a decision whether it's long or is it short or is it going to be a dress or is it going to be a trouser season or is it going to be knitwear and is it going to be about casual coats? So my whole career is based on a very loose um, decision-making process and it has to be a combination of experience and gut instinct. But the reassuring thing is actually um, if you, you, you're never getting it all right. You're going to hopefully, if you've got a good career, get it 85, 90% right. But um, going into it knowing you're not going to get it all right and you will make a mistake um, does make you make the decision quickly because you can't overthink and spend too long in fashion because it changes so fast. Yes. So it's better to make a decision and learn from it than not make any decision at all. Um, and, you know, I'm obviously working with my team on decision making. I had a, a recent example as well of um, having started a new business. We were looking, trying to find a new logistics supplier. And we were faced with two suppliers who were equally good, actually, but slightly different strengths. And um, the, the, the chap on my team was talking about it. And he was a bit paralysed because, you know, they're, they're both equally good and didn't know which way to go. And I actually just said to him, look, if that's the, if that's the issue, there is no wrong decision. So yeah. don't worry about it. That's brilliant. You have to make a decision. So, you know, I said gut instinct you know, one's a more um, formed business, you know, you, you know, going to be operationally very good. The other one's more agile and probably more of a startup like us. So, you know, I, my gut decision is to go with that. But I still have to think about it. But feel reassured if they're so close, don't overthink it. There's no wrong decision. Very wise. No, that's so true. I see so many leaders that I, I know and they get paralysed by mm. indecision. They're trying to be perfect. And, um, you know, no, no plan survives the first meeting with the enemy. So failing to plan is planning to fail, but mm. at least have a plan and, and be prepared to adapt. Mm. And then finally, um, what would be the, the top tip you would leave with uh, our listeners today? Well, I have to thank you for that, actually. Right. <laughs> so um, I think I have worked some brilliant leaders, actually, but they all have very different strengths to me. And I probably looked at... Um, 
good leadership looking like them. Yeah. Um, and a lot of them were probably very analytical, um, more process led. And I'm, you know, very much, I suppose, a creative and probably um, you're quite intuitive about what I do. And I think uh, working with you, I suddenly realised, actually, I've got some great strengths that are very different to them. Yeah. Um, and to celebrate those and, you know, have a great team around you that support you in the things that you're not great at, actually. Yeah. But you don't have to be good at everything and you don't have to be a leader in the mould of anybody else. And accepting who I was and what That's my strengths good. were... Um, was actually um, a turning point for me. And I yeah. came away much more authentic, I think, because of it, because I was happy in my own skin yeah. and accepted that, um, you know, I was good at those things and could celebrate them. Yeah, no, and, and you are very talented. And seeing you play to those strengths, I think it's important for us all. Right? There's all sorts of things I'm awful at, but there's some things I'm meant to do. And one mm. wants to be interesting leaders like you. Oh, you. So Fiona, thank you very much <laughs> thank, for your time. Really you. great. Congratulations on, on the work you're doing. Hello, I'm Jonathan Bowman-Perks and welcome back to my favourite time of the week where I am with Fiona Lambert. Uh, Fiona, we were chatting earlier. Um, you've worked with a whole range of different businesses, but what's been, what's been your, your sweet spot? What is your speciality? What would you like to be known for as a, as a leader and, and mm -hmm. the kind of area you like working in? Yeah, that's a very interesting question because one of the things I say to teams I'm working with and developing them is I go, what would you want your legacy to be? Mm. I, what, you know, and what are the things you would like to be famous for in five years if people were talking about you? And um, I am passionate about uh, product. Yeah. Um, and I love design and developing uh, great product that sells. But actually, it sounds a bit of a funny thing, actually. I want people to feel happy wearing clothes. Yeah. And I think, you yeah. know, that's one of the things, actually, I'm, you know, I've got the joy of doing, actually. Um, and one of the reasons I love my job. Um, I'm passionate about developing people. Yeah. And uh, I think, actually, my mum's a teacher. And I think maybe that's something that yeah. I've inherited is I like to see people develop and genuinely be the best they can be. Um, so I'm, I'm really passionate about um, people. Yeah. And um, what would be another one? Let me have a think. Well, let's just pick up on the people. Yeah. We'll take it in turn, so it's my thoughts. Okay. Because when I think about when I was lucky enough to work with you as, as your coach, you know, everybody knew you to be a very inspiring female leader. In fact, you won a whole lot of awards uh, from different organisations and really respected in the, as you still are, in the retail space. You worked for some great brands, you know, Next, George Asda, and now River Island. Um but, but people loved working in your team, but you were different from the others because you often work with quite financially driven, data focused, numbers, uh, margin focused, but you had something different. What, you know, and what about you recognizing that it was okay to be different? Because I think at first you felt you had to be like them and you felt like a bit like a fish out of water, didn't you? Yeah, well, I think, um... I've never had this sort of grand ambition about, I don't know, ending up at being a CEO or anything like that. I think I've always been very lucky to love doing the job I do, do it well and end up um, moving up in the in the business I've been in yeah. because of that. And then you get to a stage where actually it starts to be about leadership less than the doing. Yeah. And I probably looked at the leaders I was working with 
and saw success in being like them. Yeah. And as you say, a lot of them, their backgrounds will have been more financial or more process driven. And uh, it wasn't really until uh, we had a discussion uh, that I suddenly realised that actually my success being what it, what I was good at, whether it is people or product, actually, um, is a skill that was very different to theirs. Yeah. And actually recognising that and going, that skill I've got is probably, I don't know, 10 times better than their skill in there. And I should yeah. really celebrate that, yeah. accentuate it, and recognise that surround yourself by a team of people who do the bits you're not good at yeah. is the way to do it. And um, and that, that was a turning point for me to say, actually, I... It's, it's, you know, it gave me confidence, I believe maybe a much more authentic leader yeah. to recognise my skill set and for what it was and celebrate it. Yeah, and, and if I could sort of pick up on that, um, I, I remember the, the lovely couple of quotes, you know, it's far to, I think it was Isadora Duncan, it's far better to be a first-class version of yourself than a second-class version of somebody else. Mm. And Oscar Wilde who said, um, be yourself, everybody else is taken. Mm. And, and somebody said to me, and I've often passed on the wisdom to other leaders that I've been lucky enough to work with, um, surround yourself with an arm of metaphorical giants, men and women who are metaphorically two inches or three inches taller than you in their specialisms. And, and then you'll in some ways never work a day in your life because you've got all these mm. great men and women doing what they love doing. And, uh, and perhaps as the leader, your skill is to is to play off their strengths and, and choose the right man or woman for whatever role they're in. But to try and have a group of clones is, is a big mistake. And I think sometimes some leaders want clones just like that. Or, or, or want to always feel like they're the boss. Oh, they're the biggest. They're yes. the giant. Yeah. So, and this, um, this is the problem, the cult of the ego. And, and you've, had, you've had some challenging leaders over the time, what, without naming the guilty parties. But would you perhaps share a bit about what I call the white-collar psychopaths or the, the narcissists or the bullies or the, the ones who, who aren't so good? What has stood out over the years when you've been with people who, at whatever level, where they worked for you, with you, peers, bosses, what what have you learned from the darker side? Mm. I think one of the things I have learned is as you go along, you learn what not to do. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I, I think even very early in my career, I had examples of... Um, as we talked about actually taking risks in fashion actually and you do have to take risks and sometimes yeah. it goes wrong um, and you know recognising that as part of, as part of the industry you have to do that but I would work with bosses who would say uh, tell you to do something make something red I'm going to say that as an example and then six months later it didn't sell and then they would deny all knowledge of it really as an example and you know even early that was very early in a career I thought I never want to be one of those bosses if I ask somebody to do something, it doesn't go right, I will hold my hand up because then it's admitting it's okay to make a mistake. And yeah. I think that's really important in a team. This is, this is a really important point that comes up again and again. Uh, one of the CEOs I was with, this guy called Richard Fenning, and just finished being the CEO of um, Control Risks. Uh, and he said, much of the time you've got to lead from behind and let others, as you, you've been good at empowering and delegating and bringing others on, let them take the glory. But when it all goes wrong, you've got to step to the front 
and it is ultimately your responsibility. You know, the buck stops mm. here, as it said on one of the presidents of America's desk. You know, that it, ultimately, if it goes wrong, it's your fault. And I think it was Eisenhower as he prepared for D-Day. And he'd almost two different letters. One was a letter celebrating the success of D-Day. And the other one was saying, um, I'm really appalled it's gone so badly wrong. And actually the fault rests with me. Uh, and too many leaders look for scapegoats mm. and they point fingers in all directions, but they never accept the ultimate accountability. And finally, before I pass it back over to you, I, one of the questions I always ask any leader is, when was the last time you were dead wrong? You personally, you made a bad decision and you were really wrong. And the really good leaders say to me, do you know what? Frequently I make mistakes. Mm. I, I try to learn from them, a bit like you in fashion. Mm. Um, but the really questionable leaders, they say, do you know what, Jonathan? That's a hard one. I can't think of a time I've been wrong. And you go, oh boy, I mean, you know, like, really? You've never made a mistake, a personal mistake, a bad call? I just can't believe that. Mm. And if they, if they delude themselves and they think that's the case, mm. that, that is a problem. What, what do you think? It's a very interesting thought because I sometimes think some leaders <coughs> avoid making decisions because it's easier to do that than make a decision and make it wrong. Wow. So yeah. I think sometimes, you know, particularly some big businesses and often led by very analytical people um, can yeah. keep circling around data and pushing for more data and more information. And it's an avoidance technique of That's having to make having to yeah. make the decision because it's it's safer to keep looking for proof that you're not going to be wrong rather than accepting that actually it's not always going to be perfect. Yeah. But it's better to make a decision than no decision. Yeah. So um, I think somebody who says I'm never wrong is somebody that probably isn't making an awful lot of decisions. Yeah, I, th I think you're right. And, and there is that... Uh analogy a bit like a, a captain of uh, take HMS uh, uh, Queen Elizabeth the aircraft carrier that you know if, if that captain uh, who I think is Captain Moorhead at the moment if he was afraid of it crashing or you know hitting the dock wall at Portsmouth or something when he was leaving uh, harbour that he'd never go out of harbour mm. but actually the ship's job is to go out of mm. harbour and deal with the Queen's enemies around the world and project British power abroad. So he's got to do it. Mm. But, but metaphorically, I think many leaders either don't make many decisions themselves, or as you say, tie themselves up in analysis, paralysis by analysis, or get others to make decisions and then blame them mm. when it goes wrong. And it goes, not me, mate, I, mm. I'm just responsible for this. That was your area. Mm. Yeah. But I think that does, you know, clearly generate, I think, respect for you as a leader, mm. but also it does empower the team because if they see that you're willing to make a mistake, it allows them to move forward and make decisions. And, you know, we will all grow by yeah. making decisions and learning from them, whether they're right or wrong. Um, so I think in order to grow, you've, you've got to make decisions and with it have the risk of um, making a mistake as well. Yeah, and, and one of the earlier... Um uh, leaders, you, you probably listened to Philippa Snare, the mm. CMO of Facebook, Amir. And, and Philippa, I admired, um, like enough to be coaching her some years ago. And, and there was a situation with her global boss in one of her jobs where I was in a team meeting and she got it slightly wrong with the team and she was a bit short with a few of the people, unnecessarily so. 
And she went away and thought about it and came back and apologized, but her boss was there. And uh, she apologized to the individual, said, look, I was, it was, I was out of hand. I'm sorry, a bit short with you. You are actually right. Please, can we just rewind? Start again. I apologize. What, what are your ideas? Let's, let's hear your ideas again. And the, and the people flourished. They, they really rose to that one and really appreciated her admitting that she had got it wrong in the way she'd handled them. But her boss took it to one side after said, never admit publicly you've made a mistake. Never do that. And, and Philip said, no, no, I will actually, because that's me being authentic mm. and being human. And uh, it's okay to make a mistake because mm. if you're afraid to make a mistake or you've got a, um, you know, like a good news culture, um, you know, people don't make mm. mistakes around here, fear of failure, then people will hide things, won't they? Mm. And that's, I've, you know, I've seen some of the bigger corporates when they're managed like that. That is when the business starts to flounder because, uh, it, you know, people will always catch up with you if you're any sort of um, retail mm. business. Mm. If, you know, you can guarantee if you stand still uh, and don't evolve that you'll be left behind and other businesses will yeah. keep growing because there'll be somebody in there who's willing to have a go at something different. Um, so I think, you know, certainly in the in the retail sector, that ability to have a go at something different and keep moving forward is, is what will make a business success mm. rather than uh, a business that fails. I'm really interested in that. Let's just talk a bit about creativity, mm. because you are someone who's widely respected in your industry and by people who work with you, highly creative and innovative. But it's not just you. You've got you build a great team, just like you've hired a great mm. team of people. Uh, around you with um, uh, the, the River Island offshoot, which is called... Yes, Harpen. Harpen, where you're the managing director. Um, how do you bring out the creativity and the innovation in that team? You're clearly a good listener and you ask great questions, but what else do you do when you want to get the best out of them? Mm. I think it all has to start with customer, actually, and being able to... Um, describe a gap in the market and um, describe who a customer is and work out what it is that um, is going to be desirable. I think whether it is my team or, and interesting, we talked about actually dealing with analysts. I think hopefully one of my strengths is to be able to paint a picture of a vision that and um, put into words something that is creative, um, which you know, I, I'm, I've, I've learned to be able to bring some facts into it, so I'll know my market share and my data, but then I can turn that into a visionary picture yeah. that um, maybe people will understand what's the role they're doing, why they're doing it, um, see the gap in the market. Um, so I think it is maybe with words being able to paint a picture that people can see there's a vision there that's something that they can believe in. So, um, and I think I'm a bit of a human sponge, so I'm always um, listening to people. Mm. I'm always reading articles. I go to exhibitions. I look at developments in different fields outside of fashion. Um, and I think that's the thing. Um, there is an art, and actually it came, George Davis said to me uh, as well, and that's something I believe in. You know, that our role is about trying to spot something a customer wants before they know they want it. And you only do that by being very curious all of the time and listening and talking to people mm. and um, businesses all of the time. Yeah. And also that leads me on to the other thing is, you know, you are very good at connecting with people, meeting different people. And, and as a consequence of what you do, both the charities and uh, you've been very supportive of 
what uh, my wife Lee is doing with the Inspiring Leadership Trust and the, the vulnerable young girls who've been affected by county lines and, and, the, and the drug runners and all that they do in, in abusing them. Um, it, you've got a number of awards that people have, have said, you're, you know, you're a standout. I think there was you and one other lady in Asda that they recognised, particularly as two of the... Helen said, Milford, yeah. Helen Milford yeah, yes. uh, as well. Um, and hopefully we'll get Helen mm. on this, on this programme. Um, what was it that they were acknowledging and recognising in you? I mean, modesty aside, but what did they, what did they point out that they appreciated in you? Which, why they awarded the awards to you? I think it's, it's actually, it's hard actually being, um, <laughs> don't want it to sound like, um, I think it's being a bit selfless actually, because I genuinely love helping people develop. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been very lucky. I've worked with people who've given me chances and pushed me out of my comfort zone and given yeah. me the chance to do that. Um, and allowed me to be myself actually and recognizing that my skill set is different and letting that flourish. And I very much want to do that with other people. So whether it was um, working with Graduate Fashion Week and sponsoring that and recognising how tough it is for graduates to get mm. jobs and trying to help them understand that sort of leap from you know university to, to getting into trying to get into work and how to communicate with businesses, um, whether it is um, helping support the charities and going, actually, I'm very, in a very, very lucky position. Um, somebody wants it, actually, uh, life's about uh, learning, earning and giving. And I'm hopefully, you know, oh, I'm right. getting to the giving. Learning, earning and giving. Yeah, so hopefully, you know, I've had a great career and it's now my chance to be able to give, give back, whether it is with advice or um, supporting charities or developing people. So um, I, I think there's a bit of, like, uh, hopefully, people see... I really have the best intentions for them. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's what, it is what people say. And if you're building on a couple of the things, many ideas that have come from what you've just said. Um, one was two, two models, which might be quite helpful to people listening, that, that I, I learned from, one was from Nancy Klein and, and an engineer that she was talking to. And you can imagine an X and a Y axis with a 45 degree line between them. And, and what Nancy and this engineer were saying that on the bottom was your challenges that you face in life. And on the, the Y axis going up um, vertically was your abilities. And when your abilities match the challenges you face, you're on the, on the line, mm -hmm. on the 45 degree. Below that, you're not really being challenged enough because your, uh, your abilities easily match the challenges you face. But above the line, that's the place of fear, uh, of unknown, where you can get it wrong. You've never done it before. You, you might fail. However, that's the place above the 45 mm. where you learn the most mm. um, from. You don't want to stretch them too far, way out of their zone. Mm. But I think as you saying, taking people out of their comfort zone does help. And then another model that was linked to that, which I found very useful, is, is uh, three roundels, a bit like the Royal Air Force, with the, the, the target, uh, the, the central one, and then an outer one, mm -hmm. and then an outer one beyond that. And the first one is your sort of your comfort zone, which is, I suppose, like mm -hmm. below the 45. Then the next area is your learning zone, uh, which, of course, is the area we want to be in. But the area outside that is the panic zone. Mm. You're like, oh, my goodness, mm. you know, what am I going to do? And I think getting that fine line of, of developing your own people, stretching them, finding mm. out what 
drives them, what mm. motivates them, what their skills and abilities are, and how can you take them from the comfort zone into the learning zone, but then not take them too mm. far into the mm. panic, panic zone. Mm. What was your thoughts? Did anything come up for you from those two models? And what, yeah, I, I think they're both, they're both very good models, actually. I, I think if I think about something I, I did myself, the opportunity when I... Um, was invited back to George to turn it round. And um, they said to me, look, come back, treat George as your own business, because we know one day you'll want to do your own brand. I mean, you know, a very good line, actually. Yeah. And that was definitely me stepping out of my comfort zone, because I, in a way, I was the person that was painting the vision. I was the paint, you know, and... Um, but in a way, I'd uh, had practice at it. Mm. And the interesting thing now is I do feel that that really pushing myself out of the comfort zone and realising I was a person putting my head above the parapet and sort of setting a scene for something that I thought was a gap in the market uh, and leading a whole team of people to follow that mm. um, was one of the most scary moments of my career. But I'm so glad I did it because it actually uh, has set the scene for me doing you know the job of my life really and getting to start a brand from scratch because if I'd never done that, um, I wouldn't be having this opportunity now. But can't say it's not scary now yeah. uh, because, yeah. again, I'm learning a whole new uh, set of things yeah. that uh, yeah. uh, starting an online brand from scratch is, is uh, incredibly challenging but very rewarding. Uh, and we'll talk in a moment about being an entrepreneur, but you brought up for me um, this, this whole idea about uh, real inspiring leaders. Um, in, in my view, I, I found these men and women are able to have a, a kernel of an idea, develop it into something that inspires them, that they willingly get up in the morning to give discretionary life energy to do that, to, in order to give energy to the people around them who they will give energy to their customers and their clients. Um, and they really believe in that because if, if the leader himself or herself hasn't got a clear vision, then others won't know what to do. And I was working in one tech company where the uh, entrepreneurial owner of it, done very well in his own right, made a lot of money, and then started this other business. But he had this vision, but he couldn't explain it clearly enough because mm. everyone else was clearly stupid. And he told them they were stupid, that they couldn't get his idea. And he couldn't then even explain to the market, and the market didn't mm. get it either. Well, then who's stupid? Mm. Because... You've, you've got to, you know, everything should be as simple as possible, but no simpler. It's called Occam's razor. You know, it's like, don't make it too simple, but being able to paint a picture, mm. describe it in a way that would appeal to people. What, uh, tell me a bit about, about that, painting the picture, getting people on board with your vision, and then how that helps you be an entrepreneur. So I think it has it has to start with um, you knowing the market you're in. Actually, like I said, and and there's you know you've got to have some basis in fact. But like I said, a lot of it is a combination of you know vastly researching stuff, having the experience, um, and some gut instinct. Mm. Um, but that it's interesting. You know, we're just very kindly saying people talk highly of me being creative and being able to lead people in that way. Um, I think it is because I'm quite clear and quite focused and it inspires confidence in people. Because I think if you uh, 
show uh, a doubt or keep backtracking and don't don't f- show confidence actually in your vision uh, people won't work with you mm. um and i you know i do think uh that positive energy that you talked about as well and getting up and believing it and every single day. Mm. I do believe in coming to work every day. I think it's my first day in the office and having that sort of energy. That's good, um, people do feed off that. And actually the ripples from it are incredible mm. as well because, mm. you know, not only my, you know, direct team, you know, feel energised as well because they, they, they've got a purpose actually. That's, yeah. that's probably the thing. It's actually giving people a purpose they believe purpose. in. Um, but if we suddenly one day think we need um, an accountant two days a week, you can guarantee because we've talked to people and we've convinced everybody of the story that the next day somebody will come up going, I know somebody who can do two days accounting. And actually the ripples of everybody wanting to help spread out because yeah. you are giving off this positive energy and this belief. Um, and it's an incredibly... I, you know, I've been quite fascinated by the experience, really, mm. of just that being able to be really positive just gets so much warmth from people back to you. And you hit the word, it's energy. Mm. And I think I want to just move on to that next because actually as a leader, not only are you, you've got to have clear moral codes, what do we call the MQ on the, on the mm. Inspiring Leadership Campus, values, things that, you know, a, a, a lady is someone who knows what she will do as well as what she won't do, gentlemen the same. Um, but a clear legacy that you want to leave, leave things better mm. than you found them, create something that's sustainable beyond mm. you, it's not about your ego, and that sense of meaning and purpose and why people will want to come to work. If they've got a clear burning mm. why, they'll cope with any what or mm. how. That was Viktor Frankl's words. But then the other bit on, on the compass is the health quotient. And, and we're actually all in the energy business. We're not in the fashion or anything. You know, mm. you, you've got to develop energy mm. so that people get that buzz from you. They, they, they feel energized by being with you and are willing to pass that energy on to their customers mm. and they feel there's a, a vibrancy about it. You know, people want, want to come to work, want to be mm. working with you. What do you do by way of you know, physical health, mental health and well-being in those highs and lows throughout your life to keep yourself healthy and energetic? Because mm. you must have had some highs and lows. What, what have you done? So I, I do like keeping fit, actually. And I think when you look at a lot of leaders, a lot of leaders keep themselves personally very fit. So yeah. I, um, I, I enjoy doing lots of um, exercise um, Actually, and again, I suppose recognising the exercise that suits you, I, I like high energy exercise and I'm not very patient. I'm not somebody who can spend four hours on a golf course. I like sort of something quite um, quite fast and quite energetic. Um, and I try to eat healthily. Um, but I think also I find time, uh, my family is very important to me, actually. And I find time with my family um, because I think it's... Uh, you know that's important to me and very grounding mm-hmm. and uh, stops you sort of taking yourself too seriously as well yeah. um and actually you know i like to have fun and i'd like to think i you know you don't have to go to work as long as you take your work seriously you don't take yourself too seriously yeah so i think the team that work with me recognize that you know they, they're not i'm not going to be somebody that's clock watching every single minute um they don't you know a lot of my team have got families uh, and I've, you know, I've brought up a family, so you know, I recognise that people might have to come in half an hour late to drop children off, but they'll probably work an extra hours at weekend if they need to because they believe, you know, they believe in what we're doing, yeah. and um, I trust them. Yeah. Um, so, the trust is important. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I think uh, the 
you know, I, I keep positive, hopefully through, you know, being sport, really investing time with my family, but actually recognising that you can have some fun at work as well. Yeah. And we're close to the end of our time. And in a moment, we'll, we'll do some sort of couple of top tips of uh, leadership tips you'd like to leave people with. But um, if you or others that you've known have had health problems, what's been the sort of wake up call for you and how have you or they bounced back from health worries through overwork or eating the wrong things or whatever? What would you say? Well, or insufficient sleep, maybe. Yes, that, that's probably a good one. Um, actually, well, probably too much information, but I've just had kidney surgery. Okay, um, well. So, and uh, that was a bit of a wake-up call because I'd got kidney stones. Yeah. And it was because I probably was working too hard not investing as enough time in uh drinking enough water yeah because when you're very busy it's too easy to turn to a cup of coffee and get the energy from the coffee rather than drinking water so yeah. um, which you're I, drinking lots now but i am drinking lots now so um i i think actually it was a bit of a reminder to think about diet so i i keep very fit uh but i probably wasn't keeping very hydrated actually so point. uh so it's a very sanitary reminder actually that uh, sure. you still got to keep thinking about yeah. uh, yourself and your fitness levels and how um, do you how do you manage sleep because when you're cramming so much in mm. well, how much sleep do you have you had over the years per night roughly well maybe one of the things i've accepted actually is it's okay to go to bed at half past nine sometimes um instead of mm. uh mm. and i think that's a bit of a uh it was a bit of a gift actually to realize that that you know we sleep is important really important and uh, i know there'll be some nights and you know you know certainly in a, a career where meeting people and networking i'll have events that do mean i'm going to bed later but mm. there are days when actually if i haven't got all those on i go do you know it's okay to go to bed at nine or half past nine Very much and so. just catch up yeah. and um you're human yeah and you need your sleep and yeah. uh, there's no prizes for staying up till very Eleven. much. It's, it's, it's a big thing about that. And I've got this whoop strap, which I can oh, right. whoop.com. I'll tell you about that another time when we finish. But finally, in the last minute or so, what would be your couple of uh, top tips, practical tips that you'd leave uh, the listeners with about things that you'd find useful advice on for them as leaders? I think, firstly, um, it is know, know yourself and know your strengths and surround yourself by people who uh, are perfectly capable of doing your job and also for them to feel that, uh, you know, you in effect one day are going to make yourself redundant. So yeah. really develop them because they should all be able to feel that they can be uh, stepping into your shoes one day. So I, I think um, absolutely knowing yourself, being an authentic leader and surrounding yourself by great people and letting them really flourish uh i think i, I really think a can-do attitude and, and we've talked about being brave enough to make mistakes yeah um i think that's really important you know you can't, nothing's perfect uh, to move forward you're going to have to make a decision and it's better to make a decision than no decision uh, so that would probably be my other top tip. Fiona, thank you. As always, wonderful spending time with you. Really enjoyed it. And I know the listeners will have done as well. I hope so. My pleasure. Thank you. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? 
If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.